You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Midweek Mailbag. We are back here live on twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit in our normal time slot here Wednesday afternoon, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time if you want to join us live. But if you're listening here, on the podcast as well. Welcome. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the producer over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me, as always, is the managing editor, the machine, third nickname to be determined, <laughs> at Eric Slid on Twitter. Eric Slid is here. How are we doing, buddy? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Was that a uh, a free guy reference right there? No, uh, third I've not thing seen that here. Movie. Oh, you haven't seen that? Oh, no. well, that sounded eerily similar to that... Uh... To the one of the conclusion, you know, the, the climax of that movie. Mm, um, they probably stole it but, from me. Yeah, I mean, probably. Yeah, probably three years before you said it, they they stole it from you. I think. Exactly. <laughs> How you doing, bud? Uh good, good. Um, this is this is the show, by the way, where we answer your mailbag questions. But because we are coming off minutes, Eric, minutes <laughs> after the Lions <laughs> dropped their new alt. Uh, helmets. Uh, we're going to talk about them to start off the show a little bit. We'll probably get a little bit more into it with uh, with our other podcast shows as well. But Eric, first reactions. I know you're not a big fashion guy, uh, yeah. but, but what are your first reactions to these new blue? First mm-hmm. blue helmets since the 1950s. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a large popul- uh, population of the fan base that absolutely loves it. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be uh some people that just don't like the fit uh and i think i fall into that category i um i, I like the old logo yeah uh and i can handle and i like the, the 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 blue combining them uh i don't know how much it works it's fine i'm okay with it i hate absolutely hate the fact that they can only be worn with the grays Right. Like they do not match with the grays at all. Uh, put them with, put that blue with the white. I can dig it. All right. With yeah. the grays. Oh, and, and, and the, to, it, mm, okay, go. You, no, you I was going to say, to be clear, I have more to say. the Lions options were <laughs> either put them with the grays or put them with the throwbacks. Yeah. Um, that was another yeah. option. And they thought, well, yeah. since this is a throwback logo, but a modern design, it doesn't go with the, th- like that would kind yeah. of, that would taint a throwback uniform because it's not a throwback back helmet. It's a new helmet. Um, oh yeah. But I, I think it's also worth pointing out that I think they made this helmet with the future in, in, in mind, right? Because next year mm-hmm. we're probably going to get new uniforms. And so yeah, maybe they come true. up with an alt uniform. Maybe they come up with an alt color rush. Maybe they, let's they, hope they change something that I think will go better with the helmet because the helmet is the alt helmet is now there to stand for the next five years. Same thing with right. like when you get new uniforms, they, they, they're your new uniforms for at least the next five years. So yeah. I'm not I'm with you that they don't go with the grays, but I actually love the design. Um, I think, you know, we, we were we've been talking about the alt 
helmets and, and kind of hoping they brought back what, what we like to call as the hood ornament logo, which feels apropos given forward and everything. <laughs> um, and then making it with that matte blue style. I think it's an awesome mix of retro and, and modern modernity. That's not a word, whatever modernness. Um, I understand. <laughs> and, and, and I hope that going forward, starting in 2024, they can find a uniform that matches better with them that they can use. So I'm not that concerned this year. They're going to unveil it um, Monday Night Football against the Raiders. They announced they're going to wear it for the season finale against the uh, the Vikings. There might be a third in there as well. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I think today was mostly mostly a win for the franchise. And I'm not. He, that he, concerned he, here's the second thing that kind of bothers me okay. a little bit. Um and this is this is a logistical thing. When the al- when the alternative uniforms were originally introduced to the NFL, they only wore them on Thursdays yeah. because that was the alternative day with the alternative right. uniforms, and it was supposed to be fun and spicy. They have three games on Thursday. Yeah. They're not wearing an alternative uniform for any of them. <laughs> like, it's true. That is, that, 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 it is that we've gone we've pivoted so far away yeah. from the original design. Of what these are, uh, what the what the, the third uniforms yeah. were supposed to be, like I, I like that even less. And, and look, the only thing I do like is is that people are going to like them more because they're going to win both those games. Okay, they're going to win on Monday night <laughs> at Ford Field, and they're going to win in the finale because it's going to push them. To so look, no, do you, do you th- stop it? Do you they're think, Nate, Nate, do you think Nate Sudfeld is going to win in Week 18? I'm not so yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think Hendon Hooker will do well. Um, I think he can <laughs> beat the Vikings. The Vikings, the Vikings are terrible. You've said yeah. that all, all offseason. Yeah, they, so they gonna, may have I'm, traded. I'm, they may have traded Kirk Cousins by then. Oh gosh, <laughs> like what a nightmare. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I think there's multiple layers of this that I have issues with, uh, but. The fact that you reminded me that they carry over for five years and new uniforms are coming, it gives me uh, it gives me some pause and, and some hope. And then again, like I said, two big wins. It's it's going to grow on the fan base a little bit more, I think, as well. Uh, to be clear, if, if you're just listening on the podcast, the entire time Eric was shaking his fist at the clouds uh, while he was. <laughs> talking about the Lions uniforms uh but let's 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 move on well like i said we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the uniforms and helmets and all that uh on on other podcasts going forward this is the mailbag podcast so we're going to get to some mailbag (laughs) questions uh our first coming from caden somerville uh we had a couple questions here on the line secondary and maybe some formations that they're going to use so caden asks with cam sutton being so versatile do you think there will be times where he plays heavy in the slot from the looks of it, he's played outside, but I believe there's a good chance we see him inside for some of the better slots in this league. I think this is a good question because yeah, it it's something that I, I feel like hasn't been brought up since the Lions signed up, which is he does play the slot sometimes, but we've pretty much, I don't know if exclusively, but very much seen him on the outside mostly. So what do you think? Right. Is, are there are there certain formations that maybe, I don't know, you, you put Emmanuel Mosley and, and, and uh, Jerry Jacobs on the outside, then you slide Cam Sutton inside. Look, if there's an injury at safety and you're shifting Gardner Johnson back um, mm-hmm. or Gardner Johnson's not available for whatever reason, um, and, and and the team that you're playing's best receiver is in the slot, I could easily see them doing that. Um, this is going to be a defense that wants to play matchup, right? And so while they will be stagnant in a lot of their uh, you know creative designs because they're going to be passing guys off, it, it, it's in the split zone concept, right? Yeah. Um, 
there are going to be times when they're going to want to get the right guy against the right guy. And if that means moving Sutton inside, absolutely has that versatility to do that. The nice thing is, is they have three different stylistically based nickels that are guys that can play in the nickel at a pretty good level. It it seems like they're going to be able to have. So, I mean, the, we still have to see how branch plays out, but everything says branch is going to have a good ceiling and he's, and he's going to match up against certain guys. And then Gardner Johnson is going to match up well, and, and Sutton's going to match up well. And so, yeah, I absolutely think that it's going to be in the, the uh, arsenal of plays that uh, that AG is going to have available to him. I don't think it's going to be his primary position, but I, yeah, the option is absolutely there. Yeah. One thing we haven't seen, I think in a really long time in Detroit, certainly since at least when Darius Slay was around is shadowing, right? They haven't had yeah. guys good enough to shadow receivers. And we, we talk about all the flexibility on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of times these, you know, prototypical outside receivers, they'll, they'll motion into the slot, right? Sure. And, and so sure. I think in those situations, the lines are now better suited to shadow, bring in a guy that that can follow a guy. And I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, we we kind of have to wait and see. They they've been pretty sticky to just like left side corner, right side corner, rather than mm-hmm. rather than even, you know, CB one, CB two. It's more more left and right based. But yeah, but that I, I do feel like that certainly has the opportunity to change now. Um, given that there's more talent, given that there's guys that have the inside outside versatility, um, given that we've heard from the coaching staff that they're they're going to switch things up, they're going to keep things fresh and new and unpredictable. And so are mm-hmm. there times when the lines are going to shadow a receiver? Probably. Maybe not for an entire game, but it's it's probably gonna right. happen. Right. I think in the in the basic down-to-down situation because of the way the split zone works yeah. is you're you're often passing guys off right. and that communication is so important that playing matchup when you're using a split zone concept it doesn't it doesn't work but i agree with you there are going to be situations where it's like hey it's third and long and we want to play just straight up man yep. and let's get our best guy in the best spot right absolutely all right, uh, let's move to another question about the secondary here. Uh, Ashley Davidson uh, asks, what are the odds we see some more, quote unquote, weird four safety packages on the field at some point with how much Eric has been rightly promoting Brian Branch's ability to play in the box, CJGJ's slot capabilities, and then how good Tracy and Kirby are? Could there could that be the ultimate package for us, all four of those guys? Yeah, I absolutely think that there's going to be packages like that yeah. because um, you could see them run that dime in like third and long against 11 when they only have three receivers and you could still see them shift to like a big set like that because of the fact that branch can play uh, at the linebacker level. Right. And he gives you that versatility. Again, if you're in a playing a team um, like, you know, San Francisco, let's say, I know it'll be the playoffs, but let's, that's fine. Um, And you, and, and you're matching up your guys, but they have a weapon like uh, McCaffrey out of the backfield, you might want branch to be down in the box, to be able to, to, to account for that guy. And if you play other, if you play an offense that, that, that likes to go to the, the, the tight end or the, uh, the running back in a flat or, or maybe tight ends quicker, you might put branch in those situations and still run like a shell with the other guys um, because of Gardner Johnson's flexibility to play on the opposite side. So, yeah. And there's, there's so many different uh, fun options that they can use. Yeah. I mean, as soon as, 
Aaron Glenn said the words, I don't know if Brian Branch is going to start, but he's mm-hmm. going to play. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, there are going to be sub packages to have that guy in the field. And it's not, and it wouldn't make any sense for that to come at the expense of CJGJ or any of the other safeties. Those guys are too good to take off the field. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're going to want to just get their best players out there. And yeah, as soon as they think Brian Branch is ready to be one of those guys, which could be week one, it yeah. might be week four, might be week five, might be week eight, but they are going to put those four guys out there. Like no question, especially on passing downs. I think, I mean, but not even necessarily limited to that, because I think we we'd mentioned like Brian Branch is a guy who can very much play at the line of scrimmage. And so can CJ GJ. And, and yeah. none of those guys are scared to tackle none. Yeah. But I mean, Brian Gardner Johnson's best tacklers in, in the draft class. Right, And Gardner Johnson used to be like a box guy, yeah. like in, in New Orleans. Right. right. It just happens to be that that's really where Brian, like we saw Branch come off the edge so many times blitzing him up branch yep. off the edge so many times if they if you set up in a in a dime set and, and like a third and long and then blitz branch you're gonna catch teams not off guard and not ready unless they listen to this podcast well so we'll, they'll catch them ready <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean uh, right. uh k-dog uh cooster underscore carl on twitter asks how do you think the d-line will play out in the 23 season game one starters rotations anyone you expect to take one of the starting positions before the end of the year um resign one in in march and then ask um resign one in march 2024 romeo aquara charles harris or julian aquara so let's start with um the D-line's expected starting lineup. And let's, I want to do like a five-man front, probably. We could, I, I think in their base, it's going to be four. But right. um, if you're playing a running team, then you're, you're then they're probably going to go five heavy yeah. uh, in those situations. So for me, just straight across the board, you're going to have Hutch at your, at your rush end. You're going to have Kaminsky at your close end. You're going to have probably Bug starting uh, at, at nose in week yeah. one. And then Aleem will be your three. And I think that's your base four. Yeah. Now, from there, if you want to add five, you can reduce uh, Kaminsky into like a four eye. Yeah. Um, and then you can bring James Houston on or Julian uh, Aquara on. And then that can be like your an, another stand up edge uh, who, if they, train them the way that they want can also drop into certain in situations. Yep. And so I think that's kind of your five man front that starts the season. Now from there, will those roles alternate? Uh, will those be the same guys that end the season? Could a guy like Pascal, who you wrote about this morning, end up overtaking Kaminsky for, for a job? Could we see maybe uh, Romeo Aquara elevate his game to be in, into where he's uh, taking over a job and they're they're tweaking that that closed end roller? I mean, there's a lot of variations in how the thing can play out. But I think if we had to guess starting week one, that would that's my guess on on the base four. Yeah, and I think I agree with you across the board. There maybe I, I think they might be a little bit higher on Romeo Aquara, and I think he might sure. challenge for a starting job there. Sure, but I, I think to me the the most fascinating thing is like what is this rotation going to look like? Because yeah. Aiden played what like eighty five percent of the snaps last year. Yeah. I have to imagine that's going to dip down, not because they want to take him off the field, but because they want to keep everyone fresh. Because they want Charles Harris right. in there. I mean, they want Romeo Aquar in there. They want to get Josh Pascal some some reps, right? They want to see what they got in the guy now that he's going to have a full off season. And so, um, it it seems like it's going to be a much 
higher rotation, which means everyone probably, I mean, everyone who played significantly last year is going to have a, a semi reduced role. And, and that might, and that definitely is going to include the interior. That was one of their goals for their interior is to, is to draw back uh, Isaiah bugs and draw back a little bit in Ali McNeil. Um, right. I don't know if they, they, they certainly don't have as many bodies in the interior as they do on the outside, but um, to, to, to go to the second part of the question where, where it's, yeah, is, is there going to be any change during the season? I think, I think that the, their hope has to be that Josh Pascal is kind of soaring and, and getting to maybe by the end of the season, a starting role. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be capable of doing that, but I think that's the ideal situation, right? Because you might sure. not have Romeo back because you might not have Chris Harris, Charles Harris back because even though you re-signed John Kaminsky, he's what 27, 28, which is old by this defense's standards. Um, and I, I believe that two-year deal is, is very, if I remember correctly, you could probably get out of it after one. Um, yeah. So wasn't, wasn't that big of a hit. Right. Um, so in an ideal scenario, I think you're, you're talking about Pascal being your starter by the end of the season, but I can't tell you for certain he's going to do it because we've barely seen the guy play. Sure. I mean, look, you don't, you don't draft a guy in the top 50 if right. you don't think he has starting capabilities. Right. right. And so that has to be like at least Pascal's long-term goal. If it's not the team's uh, it, itself. Um, yeah. As, as far as like, I think re-signing and stuff, uh, which was the latter part of that question, yeah. right? Yep. Um, that is really going to come down to performance, right? I think if Pascal steps up and you and Kaminsky plays at a high level, well, then you've probably got that one uh, that one edge spot like secured. You feel comfortable right. with that, and you're going to still have Aiden, and you're going to be comfortable with him. But are you willing to pay a Romeo or a Charles Harris? a high level salary if they play well right. to be Aiden's backup. And then um, what happens with, with Julian is like the thing that I think we often overlook with like Romeo and Charles is that they can also stand up. Yeah. So in certain situations yeah. when they want to run five, like we may see like a Hutch Kamitsky, um McNeil and then Pascal and then like a, a Romeo. Right. On that side, because Romeo can still stand up. Romeo and Harris can both do the things that James Houston can do, um, but they're trying to expand James Houston's game, right? That's why, yeah. so that he can be out there more and they can use more five sets in and you know, un, unexpected situations. But I think Harris and, and and Romeo, you know, their 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 positional flexibility could give them a shot to really do something. And going into next season, you're only going to have four of the seven guys under contract. So how well do they play? Is it well enough to earn a contract? Is that contract going to be too high? I think all those things are going to be determined as we go. Yeah. I think you, you kind of nailed everything there. Um, I, I think the choice, if, if, those are your three choices. I think the choices are probably between Romeo and Charles Harris, right? I think those guys give yeah. you the most position flexibility. They've proven the most on the field and they're both high character guys. Not that Julian isn't, um, but it, they all fit what the lines are trying to do. And I think, yeah, like you, you mentioned Romeo's Aiden's backup. That's kind of how I, I, I view him right now. It's like, if Aiden's off the field for whatever reason, I think Charles, or <laughs> I think Romeo is the guy that they would put in his place first. Um, yeah. But but like you said, he can stand up. He can go on the other side, um, and and they've they've 
even teased him with a little bit of dropping into coverage as well. So I think I yeah. think I'm leaning Romeo just because I feel like there's been a little bit more proof of concept more than any of those guys. But but like you said, a lot of it is going to depend on what they do this year and then how much they're asking for next year. And uh, that we won't really know for another, I don't know, 10 months or so. For me, I think Julian has the hardest path. Yes. Um, But if a couple things happen, it's possible that he could be in line for a return. One, he would have to stay healthy the whole season. He'd have to stay completely healthy, no dings, no nothing. And then two, he'd have to show that he can drop into coverage and then James Houston not show that, show right. that he's not capable. Yeah. Because if James Houston shows he can't do it, and Rome and Julian shows he can. That's a valuable chess piece that yeah. they might not want to get rid of. But Julian has a bunch of stuff working against him. The injury history, Houston's sack production ahead of him. Like it's a harder road for Julian, but it's it's there. He's just got to he's he's got to do a lot himself in order to get it done, and he'll need some help. Yeah. All right, we're going to take our first break here. When we come back, more of your Lions questions, including some contract extension talk. Uh, But we'll get to that right after this break. We will be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back here on the midweek mailbag after a long bickering session on our live for our live audience, which is also a good reminder that there's so much more bonus content out there. If you join our live show, uh, the midweek mailbag usually airs 1230 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday after Wednesday afternoons, excuse me. Uh, but let's get back to the mailbag. Uh, Rob, Rob Robo Jr. on Twitter, who I believe also is part of our live audience, uh, asks, who gets the new contract first? Jonah Jackson? Or Jared Goff? I think it's Jonah. I think Jonah could get it this training camp, potentially, or maybe even during the season. Whereas I think Goff is that that larger type contract you need in offseason to kind of work over. And, and so I also think that there's a he needs to prove himself still, um, show that he can 
sustain what he was doing the back half of the season over a longer period of time, um, you know, keep the things he was doing well going. I mean, we know he's not going to be perfect, but he, you know, limiting those turnovers, finding success there, like there's a lot of things that he still can, can show the, the, the Lions organization uh, because when you're talking about that significant of a contract, like you need to prove yourself. Like that's, that's whether you're a big Jared Goff fan or not. I think it's it's pretty easy to say universally, like he needs to show that he's worth that kind of money. And so, great. Um, that's going to take time. And when you have a large multi-figure million dollar contract like that as well, there's details in it. There's there's uh, back and forth. Or, and so with Jonah, it's a lot more straightforward. It's something you can get done now. Um, and while Jonah's probably in line for a pretty good contract, especially with the Pro Bowl under his belt. Uh, it's a lot cleaner, more straightforward. And so I, I'd say Jonah. Yeah, I think smart money is on Jonah. I mean, even at a very basic level, Jonah has one year left on his deal. Goff has two. Um, there's more urgency to get Jonah's done than it is Goff's. But I'm going to I'm kind of play a little bit of devil's advocate here and and talk about Goff and the possibility of them getting a deal done this year. <clears throat> OK, because they've they've talked about it, right? Brad Holmes went on the radio and said that they've entered preliminary talks. We haven't heard that about Jonah. Um, although you have to imagine things will probably ramp up now-ish or sure. before camp or during sure. camp, uh, all that sort of stuff. But I think I think I think this fan base needs a constant reminder of how much this team loves Jared Goff. Oh, it's yeah. it's always been more than the public, and even with the public starting to turn on Jared Goff a little bit much in, in, in the positive direction, they're still way ahead of the public in how much they love this guy. Sure. Dan Campbell just came out and said he's the best he's ever been at quarterback. Their confidence in him has never been higher. And so am mm-hmm. I counting out a Jared Goff extension this offseason? I am not. I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but it's certainly within the realm. Of, I would not be surprised if it happens. Um because, I mean, why? I mean, if they believe that he's their franchise quarterback, and I believe that they do, get ahead of it, pay a little bit less in the long term, maybe. And and if he ball, and, and here's the thing, and we've talked about it before, too. If this team balls the hell out this year and makes the mm-hmm. playoffs and wins a playoff game, that price tag going up. Mm-hmm. I, I do think, though, that, that the fact that you pointed out he has two years left on his deal. um it would be a little bit against the grain of what NFL franchises do to, to, uh, yeah, to restructure at this, at this stage. Um, So I, I do think that's one of the bigger hurdles is just, it goes against like, it goes against it. But at the same time, you know, like I was watching uh, NFL network last night and uh, they were talking about the lions and they, they had a couple segments on them. And, and one of the questions they asked uh, one of their a- analysts was uh, does Jared Goff repeat a, a pro bowl performance? Does he go to the pro bowl again? And the analyst said yes. And then thought about it and then said yes. And then came back and went, I think absolutely. Yes. Like when, when he started looking at like, when he started thinking about it even more like, and so, when you look at the the guys that are potentially in front of them, uh, quarterbacks in the NFC, um, I, I do think getting getting another Pro Bowl isn't out of the realm of possibility, especially if he plays 
at the way he he was playing, especially with Ben Johnson gearing the entire offense around him, right? Like those are those are things that are certainly going to help him. Now, will another Pro Bowl really increase his yearly salary that much? I don't know. You know, like I think when you get to the point where he's you know, when you're talking like in that 45 to 50 million dollar a year range, or you know, will an extra Pro Bowl say, well, now it's got to be over 50. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if, if one more Pro Bowl would, would do that necessarily, but I do get you. I, I do agree with your point yeah. that any success he has could drive the price up. More. Right. And because it's not just about like a Pro Bowl, like it, it's what earned him the Pro right. Bowl. It's the sure. 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns he throws this season. It's another successful season under this regime, under this scheme, um, just strengthening their belief that he's their guy. Now, of course, you want that like that extra confidence before you you sign off on a forty five million dollar a year contract. But that's the push pull is like, do you want to give it to him now while you're pretty confident, but not so sure and it's going to be cheap? Or do you want it when you have that extra built in confidence? But because you do, because his resume is now a full year better and bigger, you're going to have to pay a little bit more. Like, I don't think there's there's any question that if he has a ball out season where the Lions win a playoff game, he's going to cost more. And I'm I'm talking percentage wise because obviously the cap is going to go up and theoretically he's going to cost more next year than he would this year because the cap is up. But on top of that, I think with an extra season of, of proving it, it's going to cost him more. And so I think that has to at least be part of the equation here on the lines. Yeah, I I agree with you. At the same time, I also think though that this is an organization, the front office, they want guarantees more than gambles you know what i mean and 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 for for such an important position i think they're going to want to be a hundred percent confident and and uh, and 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 be you know have that 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 prove it year which is why i i still think we're a year away all right next question also from robo but on twitch so i'm not even sure if they're the same person or not but maybe they are Uh, (laughs) who gets more snaps during jmo suspension uh, Reynolds, Marvin, or will they be more two tight end sets or more two running back sets? Um, I think Reynolds is a starter regardless of what JMO is is uh, sure. doing. Sure. So I think Reynolds's position is kind of fixed. Um, I think Marvin's uh, going to get more early than late. Because when JMO comes back, I think that's who he cuts into is 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 Marvin. Um, at the same time, I would expect to see a little bit more of your two tight ends or two running backs early, just because they're going to try and use a variety of ways to uh, increase playmaking potential uh, with, with JMO's speed not on the field. But if we're talking like a one for one, I think Marv is the guy who's going to benefit the most of JMO's suspension. And then he'll see the biggest reduction when uh, JMO comes back. Yeah, I don't think I have any disagreements there either way. And I, I do think the I think the emphasis more will be, like you said, getting those extra playmakers out as tight ends, as running backs. And I don't know if that means two running back sets or if it just means empty backfield. We're going to have Jameer Gibbs out wide, right? They're certainly not going to shy away from two tight end sets because they didn't anyways last year. Um, we could uh, three tight end sets, right? Like, I think I think we could see a significant amount of those because, again, last year, I can't imagine there were a lot, a lot of teams that played three tight end sets more than the Lions. 
So yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there was. I'm sure like Baltimore runs a lot of threes, yeah. and um, there's a couple other. There's a couple teams that run. Um, they, they carry like five tight ends. You know what right. I mean? But um, yeah, the Lions definitely were were using those multiple tight end sets to kind of offset the lack of an elite tight end. Um, does Laporta change things a little bit? I don't know. Um, I don't think it'll take too much away from that still being an option, even though one of them is is better maybe than the rest. Are you are you with me? Because I've been I've been high on the Jameer Gibbs is going to have just a like an offensive rookie of the year type of season. Like well, we're talking if, 70, 80 catches almost. Mm-hmm. Am I am I am I out of control with that prediction? Well, we were just talking about it the other day. Um, the fact that they continue to compare, um, they continue to compare him to Alvin Kamara, right. right? And so, if it's if you're going to get him, to, if you're going to compare him to Alvin Kamara, you have to look at what Kamara did that first year and say, um, where he won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Okay, well, right. And so you're going to have to say, like, what was his touch distribution as well? Like, can he get that? Like, he had, he had what do you have, 81? 81 his first year, right? Receptions. I think that's... Uh, Something like that, yeah. And then, but in, and then he had, uh, I think we, the number we had was like 120 carries or something like that. So he touched the ball 200 times. Um, if Gibbs touches the ball 200 times, like, what's his potential? I think he could be in that same realm, right? Yeah. Like a, a, if he, I mean, if he's averaging five yards a touch and he touches it 200 times, that's a thousand yard season. You know what I mean? Like if, if he's averaging seven and a half, you know, like now all of a sudden we're up to like 1500. Right. And so for me, I think 1500 is in the realm of possibility for his, for his uh, all-purpose yards, sure. right? I think he, I think he could be a a guy who ends up with like on that on that and that higher end total. So, when you look at the fact that they are not just when it comes to individual drills, he's with the receivers a lot yep. of the time as yep. well as the running backs. That should that that should scream you know, that they're going to try and actually, it's not just lip service that they're going to try and turn him into like an Alvin Kamara type of guy. And if he is, can he get 15? How many, how many did Kamara have? Just before I get too far out over my skis here. How many? I'm going to look up, I'm going to look up how many all-purpose yards he had. In his rookie um, season? Yeah. I got it here. Uh, he had okay, 700, 728 rushing yards, 826. Oh, there you go, 1,500. So, so over, go. yeah, about 1,550. If they can, if they can do that, like if, if I think the potential is there to do it and you don't, you draft, you don't draft a guy in the top 12, right? If you don't think you can turn him into this game changing type of back. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm on record for 1500. Okay. You're, you're on board with me. Um, So what you're saying is Jameer Gibbs should go out after a uh, a joint practice and, and say to the media, my goal is a thousand thousand season. Oh, no, we shouldn't say that. That's that's ludicrous. Who would why, say that? Why, why would, would someone say that? Say that? That's, that's nuts. <laughs> that's crazy. Um. <laughs> no, but OK, I'm, I'm glad you're on board with it because that's like I keep trying to tell people. And and Ryan has I, I think I convinced Ryan 
because he may or may not have placed a bet on Jameer Gibbs as offensive rookie of the year. Um, but yeah, like he is going to be such a huge part of this offense right away. And I think he's going to make a lot of people, including myself, forget that the Lions spend a first round pick, a top 16 pick on a running back. I mean, look, it's a big ask, right? I mean, it, it really is. It's 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 high expectations. Um, but like, a th- I think a thousand is the floor, the floor, a thousand. And I think 1500 is, is, is probably his ceiling in year one. Um, so if he good. gets, yeah, if he hits 1500, all those things that you are talking about could come true. It's a, it's a big ask. <clears throat> I mean, that, it's a hard thing to do, but boy, I, he can go. He, I, he's, he's, the, he's got a lot of talent. And I think like, Zooming out here is important because you just said the absolute floor for Jameer Gibbs is a thousand all-purpose yards. Yeah. The guy he's replacing, DeAndre Swift, barely did it once. Right. Well, because he never played. Right. Right. He was injured most so much of yes. the time. He was certainly or, capable of it. And like 878, 1069, 931. So it's not like he was far off any of those years. But sure. I think you're right. Like that that should be the baseline expectation for a guy who has a better track record of staying healthy, who is a quicker, faster guy than more explosive guy than, than DeAndre Swift is and, and hopefully has a little bit better hands as well. I and and gets to deal with a say the same or better offensive line than DeAndre Swift had. What um you have Swift stats pulled yep. up there. Yep. What was his receiving numbers last year? Like compared, like his receptions, was 40, it on average? 48, 48 catches for 389 yards. The previous year he had 62 for 452. Okay. So um, but the volume, like, okay. Um, how many targets was he getting? Like, was he getting yeah. like, 70 targets, like 80 targets. What was, what's his 78 targets in 2021, 70 in 2022. So he caught 62 of the 70 and then 48 of the 70 or 62 of the 78. Yes. And his, his rookie year was probably less than that in both. Yep. 46 catches on 57 targets. All right. I think. All right. So he's, he didn't really see as big of an uptick. As, but, I, as I was thinking, well, okay, I felt so like he was the uptick was in 2021. Okay. And and this is, this makes sense because in 2022, his role was severely diminished. He played in a lot of games, but he was, he was clearly, it wasn't an RB one, RB two situation or right. RB one, a one B. It was an RB one, RB two in yeah. 2021. He caught 4.8 receptions per game, almost five a game. That's a lot. He was at 3.5, 3.4, the other two seasons. So I think that's probably where they want it to be is if Jameer Gibbs is his healthy self, they probably want it closer to five catches a game than three, which is... And, it, and he, only, he only played, what, like 13 games, yes. too. So you extrapolate that over 17, you add another month's worth of play in there. Now you're talking about 90, 90 targets, 75 receptions, right. essentially. Yeah, right. I think that's 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 realistic. That's reasonable. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh Long answer on that one, and we mostly just ended up talking about Jameer Gibbs, but um, <laughs> we're going to continue with the offensive explosiveness with this question from our live Twitch audience. Quirky Zerky asks, with the big playability of Gibbs and JMO, could the Lions hit 5,000 passing yards this year? 
I'm going to say they could, but I'm going to say they won't. I'm going to go above 45, but under 50. Okay. So, so over 4,500, but I, I, I just, there's going to be games when they're going to like decide to just turn it on and they're going to, they're going to have, you know, 550 passing, you know, not passing, it's 550 all purpose yards, 400 of them are going to be passing. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be games like that. Right. Um, but there's going to be other games where he work off throws for like 250. And, um, Oh, you know what? Now that they have an extra game, there is the extra game. Yeah, I think it's getting you're getting closer. I, I still think they they come a little bit under the five thousand mark. Yeah. So for for reference here, golf through four thousand four hundred thirty eight last year did play all seven go, games too. Yeah, I think, I think that goes over up. a little bit. Um, his best season was in twenty nineteen. Only sixteen games. Only sixteen game season back there. He had four thousand six hundred thirty eight. <clears throat> um, when he threw for a career high 626 and I think it was a league high 626 passes. Um, I I'm with you. I think it's possible. And I, I think they're going to get close. I really do. I think like we're talking 4,700, 4,800 because they, they are going to be more explosive. Um, and, and for a longer period of time, presuming that JMO stays healthy in the 11 games that he plays and um, that they have, they have an explosive tight end too. Like, we saw we saw like Hawkinson did not catch a ton of passes here in Detroit last year, but when he did, like he had a couple. He had one that went for like eighty yards. He went. I think he had another one that went for like forty or fifty. Those I think you can get on a regular basis. Once uh, Sam Laporta kind of gets up to speed. Now again, we can't expect too much from Sam Laporta in year one necessarily, sure. but I think they have enough options. You know whether PFF wants to believe it or not. I think they're there what 23rd best receiving core. I think there's enough there combined with a running back. That's explosive combined with an offensive coordinator that knows how to get guys open. 4750. We'll call it. I, for me, I think they can replicate a lot of what they did from a receiver standpoint. And I think you can, you're going to get slight upticks. You're going to get upticks at, 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 with the rookies. Yeah, I really do. I think Laporta is just going to give the, the tight ends group a little bit more, like a couple hundred. Like if, if he gives the, the tight ends group 250 more, 300 yards more, that's going to help. If, if Gibbs can get you 250, 300 yards more out of the running back group, like that's 600 yards. Like that's that. It, maybe the maybe the receivers group does take a step back a little bit, but like I think they're what the the running backs and the tight ends can do with the the depth and the explosive talent that they went after in their top fifty picks that can that can bump up the overall production to me. Like Ben Ben Johnson's offense is designed like where he doesn't have to go to the big play. He doesn't have to lean on one big time receiver. Like he can, I mean, I, I think last year at all, almost like they no, barely no, St. Brown. It was yeah. St. Brown. Right. Like, and I think, right. I think, and I think, but I think, but I mean, they don't have that prototype X. Right. And they don't, but I don't, but in Jen, Ben Johnson's system, they don't need to. Right. Um, I think, I think uh, St. Brown's arrow is going to go up a little bit as well. Um. And maybe, and I, and I think that's probably because 
you're going to be missing some deep threats early. You're going to be you're going to have a little bit of trouble on the outside maybe early. And, and so St. Brown can have a, an uptick and they can still maybe even if they could still maybe see a little bit of regression from the wide receivers, but they have talent in so many other spots. And the system is designed to feature a lot of different guys. And yeah. that's 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 the way Ben Johnson designed it. Jared Goff can execute it that way. And so you can actually see a more productive season, even if the receivers regress a little. All right, we are going to close things up there. Again, as always, if you want to be part of our live discussion where we go probably about four times the content that you hear here on the podcast, uh, join us live Wednesday afternoons, 12.30 p.m. Eastern here on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. But until next time, for Eric, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>